welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today, we're going to take a moment and press pause to reflect back after the COVID sprint. While we certainly aren't completely past the pandemic, we've reached a point where a lot of businesses are stopping to take a look at the lessons learned and the experience that, experiences they've gleaned over the last year. I'm joined today by Jason Prokop and Alicia Magone, both of Diaz Sorin. Jason and Alicia, welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. Thanks for having nice us. Here. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Let's start with some introductions. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Diasorin, um, your roles, and anything you'd like to share about your backgrounds. Alicia, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, my name is Alicia Magona, as Sarah mentioned, and I'm the Senior Manager of Technical Support in the Repair Center at Diasorin. I'll let Jason describe um, Diasorin to you in a little bit of a global sense, but what I'm responsible for is the 24-7 technical support team at Diasorin Inc. Um, across uh, U.S. and Canada, as well as the repair depot and internal service for our equipment uh, that we have here at the Diasorin Inc. site. Excellent. Jason, can you tell us a little bit about Diasorin and your role? Yes, hi, I'm Jason Brokop. I'm the Director of Service and Support here at DSORN Inc. out of Stillwater, uh, Minnesota. So I'm responsible and our team's responsible for the field service across the United States. And we also have a subsidiary up in Canada. Um, we directly manage our customers' install base. So we do preventative maintenance, repairs, et cetera. Um, so Diasorin is a global manufacturer of immunodiagnostics products. Uh, we, we're a very multi-international company from that perspective, and we really specialize um, in specialty diagnostics. That's why if you see our brand, Diasorin's called the Diagnostic Specialist from that perspective. Uh, so we try to come out with niche and innovative products uh, that fit gaps in our customers' needs from that perspective. Okay, great. So um, I wrote an article, I think it was, I believe it was late 2020, and it was my love letter to the service industry for surviving um, such a crazy year. Mm -hmm. And um, Alicia, you actually reached out to me after coming across that article and saying, hey, this really resonated. And I think that you know, we experienced a lot of this and, and we have um, some interesting stuff to share. So uh, here we are. Um, so can you tell us a little bit what about that article resonated most with you? Yeah, you know, during the pandemic, there was a lot of um, news and media about the frontline workers as there should have been. That's completely appropriate. And there was people, many, many industries and types of people that um, were serving the communities that weren't as readily noticed. And when I read that article, I thought, absolutely, yes, this is the love letter to the people in this community, um, in the community of the service industry that are trying to help in their own retrospective ways uh, for the customers that they serve. And and thinking specifically about the service industry at Diasorin, I thought, yes, this is what we, we went through. We had um, unbelievable challenges, but we had a lot of lessons where we learned about perseverance and 
um, we learned about how to stay strong and, and you wrote and touched on several of those points in the letters and I shared it um, on LinkedIn uh, as an effort of expressing the same level of gratitude back to um, the service department that we represent. Yeah, you make a really good point, which is um, there's many layers uh, and, and types of essential workers, right? So, you know, some um, that have, have experienced maybe, you know, different things firsthand, um, like those that are, are on the front lines in the healthcare industry, certainly, um, I think, deserve to be top of mind when you think about, you know, what this last year has looked like. But to your point, there's a lot of things that are a little bit more behind the scenes and a lot of people that have worked really hard to serve those frontline workers and to make sure that those frontline workers have been able to do everything that they needed to do um, for patients and for people that have been impacted most. Um, and I think that that's a really, really good point. Um, now, Diasoran being in the, the industry that you're in just so happened to um, be in a position to um, provide testing for COVID and therefore, um, you know, had a maybe a doubly crazy year last year because you experienced some, some really intense growth. Um, so Jason, can you tell us a little bit about sort of what's the core business? So what were you kind of up to before COVID hit? And then um, what has that growth looked like? How did you sort of pivot and, and you know, start providing that testing? And, and what did that kind of mean in terms of um, the, the impact on the business? Yeah, absolutely. So pre-COVID, you know, it was typical business as usual for our organization. We had our national commercial meeting uh, laid out at the end of February where we were given our strategic objectives of an organization with the products that we were gonna come out with and launch and what our focus was going to be for 2020. So we were all out on our plan. Everybody, all the information was cascaded to everybody in the commercial organization as well as internally. And then come mid-March, things change. Mm -hmm. Now we're in midst of the pandemic. So as an organization and being we're very innovative from that perspective, we saw what was needed in the marketplace. So we quickly, our molecular colleagues out in California came up with a PCR test for COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, and then our, our global colleagues in Italy and internally here in Stillwater came out with some immunoassays, both for IgG and antigen testing. And now we have another IgG testing for post-vaccination from that mm -hmm. aspect. Um, so then we saw much interest in the marketplace because, you know, no vendor was ready with the supply mm -hmm. to meet the demand from our customers. Um, so then we quickly had to collaborate with all of our colleagues, both from a corporate level and in the U.S., as well as our instrument manufacturers to look what we could do with our supply to meet the demand of the mm -hmm. public. And I think from that, we saw the communication across our organizations really increase, even mm -hmm. though we're in this virtual setting from that perspective. Um, we all had to communicate with one another on a daily basis to make sure that we could get done what we needed to get done for the organization, as well as uh, our communities and society from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is there like, can you, can you give us kind of a, a, um, 
a baseline to think about like, okay, you know, before COVID we were producing X units or we, you know, like how much did that really boom the business and, and like a scale for what you had to adjust to? Yeah. So I can talk a little bit from an instrument standpoint. So uh, from a molecular standpoint, our, our install base more than doubled in mm -hmm. 2020. Um, and from uh, immuno standpoint, we had a couple months where we installed more instruments than we ever have um, in the history of the time that I've been with the organization. And I've been here almost 27 years from that. Mm -hmm. I think from an immuno side, in one month, we installed over 50 instruments. Uh, mm -hmm in May, I believe. And, and typically we do maybe 10 a month. Mm -hmm. So it was all hands on deck to get our customers, the instrumentation and the testing they needed to keep up with their demand. That they yeah. I think it's interesting that, um, you know, we think about, I think a lot of times when you talk about reacting to change, you think about it in the negative sense, right? So like, you know, a lot of the organizations we've had conversations with around COVID, you know, unfortunately what that looked like for them was a, a significant reduction in business and, you know, having to, some people had to make layoffs and, you know, um, so, you know, I, I think there's this um, perception of, of the challenges of COVID being more on the side of that contraction. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think, it's just interesting to point out that challenges can also come in the form of opportunity, right? So, I mean, let's set aside the fact that you're all employees of Diasorin and, and Diasorin now has this, this opportunity to provide this testing in this time that it's needed, which obviously has a, an impact, a growth impact on the business, but you're all still human beings dealing with the same you know, fear and uncertainty and, and trepidation in, in your own lives, right? But there's also a real business aspect of like, oh my gosh, like we have the chance to step in and do this thing um, and being able to do it, right? I think the recognition of the opportunity is one thing, but the ability to pull together quickly as a company and execute on that opportunity is a, is a totally different thing. Um, so, so I think, you know, kudos to you guys as an organization for, you know, being able to see where you could have an impact um, and, you know, get to work doing what needs to be do done, you know, to in community, you're talking about a global company, right? So all of that communication, the logistics, everything. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but, you know, I think the other thing that's interesting to, to look at here is, you know, not only was it a really hard year in, in many ways, um, even though for you guys, that meant really, really rapid growth, um, during that you ended up with the strongest NPS score that you've had since you started measuring it. So how <laughs> like how did you do that and and why do you think you know why do you think that that is or or how do you think that was accomplished and i can speak to that so 
if I look at it from my perspective, it's all about the great people that we have within our organization. And I'm just not talking about uh, all of our people in field service from that perspective, but that's across, that's internally across all of our organizations. Um, everybody stepped in. Um, would, did we all have some anxiety? Absolutely. Um, I think everybody in society had some anxiety about stuff, but we also knew that we were doing uh, something different and really making a difference from that mm -hmm. perspective. Um, so all the people across the organization really stepped up both internally and in the field. And I think our customers saw that. Mm -hmm. uh, they saw us as an organization that's going to continue to provide excellent customer support, uh, support uh, innovative products to meet the needs that they have at this time in a very quick and nimble fashion. And nobody ever stopped. I mean, mm -hmm. whatever we asked people to do, of course, everybody had a little anxiety about it. And we were empathetic uh, to that for sure, because we had the same type of anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, but they knew that they were doing the best they could for our organization, as well as the customers out there. Um, and all the people within the organization deserve all the credit. And I think we had some of the best people of any organization that's out there. Yeah. I, I would definitely add to that, Sarah, that, you know, the industry was calling, you know, we saw it in the media everywhere. We need more testing. People were saying it was March, you know, the middle of March when the U.S. really became impacted by the pandemic. And the number one response was more testing, more testing, more testing. And our organization, um, a lot of great people within this company who are very innovative in the scientific industry, were able to come up with that solution. And the customers saw that Diasorin is a solution provider, right? Mm -hmm. So we're, we're able to come up with the plans. There was a lot of shortages of a lot of things, but testing was one of the things that was most talked about. Mm -hmm. And when we did that, and then you couple it with something that we were already providing before, but our, our employees dug deep and did it even better this year was we really provided that customer support. And that's not just like the frontline pe people who are talking to the customer, although they are extremely valuable to that being the face of Diasorn, it was the people who were staying late and making mm -hmm. sure that everything was received on time. It was the people who were processing the orders when they didn't necessarily have to. It was the people who were taking care of their children at home while still working. I mean, mm -hmm. it was a lot of people who had to do things that they've never done before, but realizing the importance of why they did that. And it was visible to our customers. And mm -hmm. we were able to say, when they were saying to us, I'm having to show up at the in the lab and to do the testing, we were saying, and we're side by side with you, we're helping you, you mm -hmm. know, and they saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of the people part of this um, mm -hmm. too. And, and I think that's, that's the most important part, but before we do that, I want to talk um, about the, the logistics, the operations of things, right? So, um, you know, in this case, you're talking about growth that was spawned by this, this crazy once in a lifetime, hopefully event, you know, happening. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, any company that experiences really, really rapid, big growth, you know, struggles with how to scale and, mm -hmm. and how to, how to react quickly and nimbly to, to accommodate that. Um, so, 
you know, I, I think there's a message here, not just, you know, we, we grew so much because of COVID, but just we experienced this rapid growth period. And, and here's how we um, adjusted our, our business operations to be able to um, navigate that. So can you guys talk a little bit about, you know, some of the areas of, of operations and how you sort of made some changes and pivots to be able to, um, you know, react and respond to the opportunity that was there. Yeah. Yeah, there was um, quite a few of those moments. So um, starting on day one, after we realized what was um, happening was about the safety of our employees and what we were going to do. So what do we need to implement in order to get people safe? So for technical support, it meant um, you're working from home immediately. Well, that meant that we had to set up their home offices and structure their home offices and ensure that there was business continuity with the phone lines. And we had to ensure that there was no major disruptions. Other, other companies experienced that too. Our customers saw no difference on any of our phone support whatsoever. Uh, from a repair center um, perspective where we had people who were having to work here at the office in order to accommodate the needs it was making sure they had the right PPE, that they had uh, the right safety protocols. It was moving things around in the space and the lab so that they were able to do that. Um, it was making sure that uh, we had procedures that they could all have their own laptops where they were making sure that they were reading um, them without touching other people. It was um, making sure their badges were only allowing them into certain areas. There was a lot of things that we did in order to say, okay, versus your safety and how are we going to do that. And from um, a field perspective, uh, we did that as well. And Jason can talk a little bit about the safety that we did for the field service employees. Yeah, and that was working very closely with our corporate colleagues as well as internally with our health and safety teams and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. you know how it went from a PPE perspective where now everybody needs masks and there's no masks available. You're trying to find lab coats, you're looking for gloves. <laughs> We're looking to make sure that we could find alternate suppliers than our base suppliers to make sure that we had a backup in case mm -hmm. of need from that perspective. And mm -hmm. we had to work with our corporate colleagues our, and up in Canada to make, because then we now we can't ship stuff across the border from that perspective mm -hmm. if it was PPE. So a lot of that comes back to that communication that we had within our team. So um, that really helped us get ready for that. And then we even to keep up with demand, we, we had to hire some new headcount uh, to make sure that we had enough people in place. And then as Allie said, we had to look at social distancing between our confined space to make sure that we could keep people a safe distance apart. And then we had to look at alternate shifts that people could work as well. We had people in the field that had daycare needs, so they decided instead of working their normal eight to five, that they would work five to 1 p.m. to be able to take care of their customers uh, mm -hmm. still. And that's kind of the ownership that we see from our service department, as well as uh, all of our departments internally, is that they really were owned the situation and were very accountable for everything that needed to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, a lot of those those pivotal operational things, um, you know, headcount shifts, safety, uh, working with colleagues around the world, um, 
you know, they seem at a glance like something that you could breeze over, but they were all took several hours of conversation to figure out how are we going to do this and how are yeah, we- At least I would think, I mean, and, and you know, it's easy to, to kind of look back, um, you know, they say like rose colored glasses or, or what have you, but, you know, the other thing is in those very early stages, the circumstances were changing almost every day, right? So it's like you figure it out once and then you get going and then next week it's different and then you figure it out again. And then, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, we've kind of, as, as this has gone on, we've fallen into a norm, you know, it's not the norm anyone wants, but it's, you know, it's, we've kind of reached a more level state, but in the beginning, I mean, it was, it was different um, you know, requirements and regulations and, and stipulations being introduced, you know, really all the time. So, I, you know, I think the attention to detail um, and again, that level of, you know, cross-functional and, and regional communication, um, you know, is, is really important in being able to, you know, make the changes you guys did and continuing refining them, you know, as you, as you went along. Um, any other things to note in terms of logistically or operationally, how you guys kind of accommodated the growth? Um, you know, the, the main logistics points when it came to servicing were really about working when it comes down to like the nuts and bolts besides the staffing and how we had to manage that was about the logistics of the parts, um, the mm -hmm. logistics of the instrumentation. And we really had to collaborate and communicate much differently to our corporate colleagues in the way that it wasn't that we were um, speaking about things differently, but we had to speak about things much more rapidly. So instead mm -hmm. of weekly communications, it was daily communications because guess what? Today we need this, 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 this. And they had to say, okay, now we need to gather up the people here that need to help with that. We need to talk to our suppliers. They need to talk to their suppliers. Who's our alternate suppliers? Where are we getting it? How are they going to be imported? How are they going to be exported? Mm -hmm. And there were so many um, meetings where we just had to come up with those solutions very quickly and get the right um, stakeholders um, in place immediately. And there wasn't a person who uh, didn't try to respond um, to that need. But mm -hmm. you know, the logistics of service, um, it, it, although PPE was something that many organizations were contending to get at that time, it, it's also a lot of those parts require mm -hmm. um, special meddling, special people who are working on manufacturing lines that, um, you know, all were impacted by COVID as well. And mm -hmm. when those production lines were shut down because of a potential COVID case, which did happen multiple times, we had to think about, okay, now what are we going to do in the supply chain and how are we going to react? Um, and that was, um, you know, something that, you know, we tried to make sure did not impact the customer. We were going to do everything that we could as an organization to make that transparent to the customer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When we, when we had such uh, an increase in our install base, I mean, what we had to keep from an inventory standpoint from mm -hmm. some parts to be able to service our customers, like you said, it, it, it changed in a month. Mm -hmm. We would have to manage our reorder points and everything and what our consumption is pretty much on a weekly basis to keep mm -hmm. it up with the growing install base that we were having because 
we need to make sure we're supporting them in the best possible way that we can. Mm-hmm. Did we have some challenges? Of course we did. I think every manufacturer that's out there had some challenges from that perspective, but I think we, uh, through a lot of dedication and commitment uh, of our people, we, we made our way through it quite well. Yeah. So thinking about reacting to this, you know, if you look at it from the business perspective, you know, you're talking about um, being more nimble, more flexible, more creative, um, more probably organized, more, you know, all of, all of the things. Um, what would you each say is the biggest lesson, you know, business-wise that you've learned that you think you'll carry into the future? Like out of this, this experience, what's the one thing that you think will kind of persist? For me, um, from a personal perspective, right? It's just, yeah. So for me, I would say that I really just want to continue to look at employees' individual situations with the business needs because, you know, not just during COVID, but other times, people have various challenges and Mm -hmm. you have to be able to say, okay, how can we respectfully accommodate those needs and still meet what the objectives are of the organization? So that's that's one important thing. But retaining being nimble, um, you know, it's how it's how to communicate uh, with the other people. I know we've said that that word multiple times, but really that was one of the things that came out is we realized, okay, well, you know, forget the phone call. Now we're going to do a video chat. Mm-hmm. You know, for, now I'm going to chat you all day long about little individual things in order to um, you know get the end goal done and. Um, when we're being nimble with the solution, it's okay. So this is the way we've always done it. Um, we've now proved to, you know, some people who have hesitation about that change that we can do it and we mm-hmm. can be just as effective and we can be just as um, efficient and let's figure out a way to get through it. And um, I think a lot more open-mindedness is, is definitely come out um, as a result of the COVID experience. Yeah. Jason, what would you add? Uh, mine would be similar from that perspective. As, as leaders within the organization and being, uh, we manage a lot of field-based staff from that perspective, we want to make sure that they're still engaged from that aspect. And um, we used to have a lot of regional meetings, go to customer sites and visit. And now we don't have the opportunity to do that. So we're continuing to look at ways that we can keep people engaged from that perspective where it used to be, well, we'll have three regional meetings, we'll mm-hmm. go visit some customer sites. Now we have to look at alternative ways that we can keep all of our employees engaged from that perspective. And I think we've been, we've been okay at it, but we still have some work to do from that perspective because it's hard to be as engaged as you can be when you're talking through a video monitor or mm-hmm. on the phone from that aspect. I also think that there, from this and the virtual environment, when we look at jobs that can be done remote via all the time, or at least provide our employees that flexibility when they have personal needs to be able to work from home, I think from an executive level and leadership level with the organization, with the tremendous jobs that everybody did this year, there's a lot more trust in that Mm -hmm. aspect where, you know, the old school mentality is if you're not in the building and you didn't punch your time card, I don't really know what you're doing. 
Right. I think we actually saw our productivity probably increase with a lot of people working remotely. Mm -hmm. uh, probably a little less dis distractions, probably a little less meetings being called mm -hmm. that you really didn't need to go to, but people spent half the day in meetings rather than utilizing that time in a value-added activity. Uh, so I think, uh, I think that's going to help us in the long run for sure. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about the fact that, um, you know, the, your people was the biggest key to, to being able to, um, you know, survive and, and thrive over, over the last year, um, in terms of, of the business. So, you know, you guys have mentioned, I think one of, um, the important pieces, which is, there seems to be this pulling together because everyone realized they were working toward a common good, right? Mm -hmm. So you guys were, you were navigating this growth because you were doing something that was having a direct impact on, you know, this life experience that we were all having. Um, Alicia, talk a little bit about, you know, that kind of interconnectivity and, and how you think that played a role in, in people's commitment to, you know, working harder or doing whatever it takes to, you know, scale up the way you did and to meet the outcomes that you needed to for your customers. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's very few experiences that one goes through in a lifetime or even generations in which we all can say we experience the same thing at the same time. Um, and that in itself creates a connection between the people, right? So um, that's, you know, it's not the weather that we're talking about because maybe we're all experiencing the weather that day, but we're talking about how this is impacting us, but it's impacting us in real ways, like real ways where, you know, maybe you're, you're not seeing your grandmother for, you know, months and months at a time, or your, your mother you have to take care of, or you're um, nervous about the fact that your child didn't have childcare, even, you know, people who had come with just very unique life experiences that seemed heavier than normal, right? Mm -hmm. And what made it different was that a lot of people were having that same feeling mm -hmm. at the same time. And it was a result of this, like what it meant to be stuck in your home for several months, or for me, I'm in the same building as part of my team. And I couldn't even see them for some months. I had to talk to them virtually, even though we were in the same building. Mm -hmm. All of those sort of um, things really impacted people's moods, right? It, and, it, and it should have, it, and it did, and it, we're all human. But one of the things that that meant was, okay, I'm having this challenge in my life. This is, a, and my colleague um, in Italy, in Germany, in the United Kingdom, my colleague who lives in Massachusetts or California, they, they were all kind of experiencing that. So when mm -hmm. I said, hey, today is a, a harder day for me, or that employee said that, we were all saying that. And then, you still saw your colleague next to you digging deep and trying hard and working the longer hours or taking a rest when they needed a rest and you're covering for them, mm -hmm. right? So they said, you know what, I need this day off. I have bereavement, I have COVID leave. And when that happened, people said, okay, I will do more because mm -hmm. their turn was coming up, right? Mm -hmm. And they kind of knew that. And the people who didn't have those turns felt, I saw a lot of gratitude and feeling fortunate for that. And 
um, I still see, you know, a lot of us feeling connected. Oh, you know, I see that, you know, Italy is closed down again, for instance, last mm -hmm. week. It's been really hard on Easter not to be able to see your family. Oh, you know, that, yes, that was. Or, you know, for all the other, you know, holidays that were going on and then people didn't get to see their families. You know, mm -hmm. there was, and then we were saying, and when you can work, please come in and help. And people, mm -hmm. and they replied to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. I think there's definitely this sense of deeper human connection to one another after the last year. You know, I, I think that that's the one thing that I hope um, out of all of this sticks, you know, if, if anything, because I think that we've all, you know, we just view things differently. And I think it makes us kinder to one another. I think it makes people a you know, I'm not a patient person, so I'm not saying like ultimately patient, but like a little bit more patient, you know, and just like I said, you know, a little bit more considerate of what someone else is going through, knowing that we're all going through something, you know, and, and I do hope that that um, is something that, that we cannot dismiss when we do get back to, you know, an increased sense of normal, because it is really easy to be kind of you know, wrapped in your own world and your own experiences. But I think this connection that we all have to one another, um, you know, has been one of the biggest positives out of, you know, a really um, bad situation. So I, I love the fact that, that you guys um, had such a positive response from your teams in terms of that banding together and, and working toward a common good. Um, I know we, we talked before about how important empathy was in leadership over, over the last year. Can you guys maybe talk a little bit or give an example about how you have, you know, employed empathy with, with your teams throughout this experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think that was probably one of the most important things that we did as an organization from that perspective, because we're all experiencing the exact same thing. First part was really listening to them, because we're not all in the same situation. Everybody has personal challenges that they have to go through from that perspective, and we all understand that. And we listened to all those situations from that aspect. Um, we had COVID situations that happened amongst our teams. And what we kind of really found from that is the teamwork amongst the regions and departments that we have within the organization. Um, that's where I really saw a positive change because mm -hmm. everybody was going through the same thing. Okay, so-and-so has COVID. I, I can take I can take his spot for a little bit. I'm going to go step in and without any hesitation. Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest thing that we really had was listening. We all had anxiety about what was going on, specifically at the beginning of the pandemic. I think that anxiety has lessened a little bit, uh, but everybody still has a little bit of that out there for sure. But really just listening to what their needs are, um, if you have to take time off, it's okay. We'll figure it out. And mm -hmm. everybody else will just step up from a team aspect to get done what needed to get done. Mm -hmm. Alicia, what would you add? 
I mean, empathy is a word that has gotten thrown around quite a lot. Like, you know, if you're a servant leader, then you're going to be empathetic towards your employees. But like, what does that mean to really show empathy for one situation is to be the other words that we described. Empathy for someone's situation is also to say, we can be creative in this situation and we can allow for that to happen. And for those reasons, there was huge kudos to the HR and executive team at DSORM because they allowed the managers to express that creativity for the ones roles. And it didn't have to be um, broad streaking policies that uh, there were, of course we have policies, that's not the point, but they right. weren't so broad streaking that they, it didn't allow the manager to express that empathy in a very specific way. And, um, you know, I think that the other thing is that the, when, when you do show empathy for the employees, it's a do, it's a double empathy. They show empathy for you because, you know, there was multiple days where I had, you know, bad days too. I was experiencing some hardships too. And mm -hmm. my employees said, it's okay. You know, you mm -hmm. don't have to be perfect today, you know, we don't, we're not expecting more from you today. And, um, you know, that sort of thing, again, going back to the human side of, of what COVID left, I mean, we were asked to be, like you said, sprinters um, mm -hmm. of this experience. We were asked to sprint through months and months and months of work. And we were asked to live during this time as mm -hmm. well. And um, they were sometimes contradicting one another, but that empathy portion of it, um, how to express it, not just how to listen and, and not only to just say, I am empathetic, but to mm -hmm. be empathetic um, was something that um, we were able to do this year and um, both from an employee side and from a managerial side. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we've had a number of conversations now on this podcast about the reality of um, leading by example when it comes to vulnerability mm -hmm. and, you know, normalizing um, conversations or, or making employees feel comfortable saying like, hey, I'm struggling, I need a break, or, I, you know, I have this going on. You know, there's, you know, certain... Um, certain people, certain situations where it's really hard for folks to, to speak up or to feel comfortable, you know, or not scared, right? Of, well, what's the reaction going to be? Like, should I just force my way through it or what have you? And related to COVID and not, you know, and, and I think that, um, you know, we've had some really good conversations about if you can figure out appropriate ways as a leader to show a little bit of your own humanity and be a little bit vulnerable with your teams, then it shows them that it's okay to do the same thing. Um, and, and I think that, that that's a good thing. The other thing I think, Jason, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, some of the, the field technicians were able to switch their schedules from eight to five to five to one, right? And that might sound like a really small adjustment, but I mean, for a lot of people that probably made the difference of, you know, um, their spouse not needing to leave their job or, you know, their family not losing an income or, you know, um, it's just the amount of stress that that situation in and of itself, you know, people that had kids that couldn't be in childcare or in school that were, you know, both working. I mean, you, we've also talked on here and, and 
have relayed a lot of statistics about, you know, the number of women that have had to leave the workforce in the past year because of that situation. So those are real tangible things that you can do, right? There are concessions you can make, changes you can make that don't detract from that employee's ability to do their job, but are just a different way than the norm that allows them flexibility that probably was priceless to them. Do you know what I mean? And, and to me, that is, is what empathy is really about, is um, taking action on what those needs are and, and finding a way to you know, have that, that common ground. And I think that, you know, throughout this conversation, you guys have said again and again, like how much your employees cared and how much they wanted to pull together. And that's a two-way street, right? You know, if, if, if Diasorin wasn't um, wanting to hear what those needs are and, and make adjustments and be creative, those people may not feel as, as passionate about you know, their part in, in everything and vice versa, you know, the more you saw them respond and the harder that they wanted to, um, contribute, the more they wanted to contribute, the more you valued their contribution and thought, okay, we need to make this work. Like there has to be a way to, to, um, you know, achieve the right outcomes for everyone. So mm -hmm. I think that it's, it's a really good illustration of, um, you know, what needs to happen in, in that give and take with, with valuable employees and, and just thinking, um, Jason, to your point about not being stuck in the old way of doing things or some of those, um, those thinkings that maybe, you know, over the last year, the companies kind of realized, like, yeah, we, we felt that way, but it's not proven to be, um, accurate. So, yeah, I think that's, um, those are, are really good examples. And, and I think that it's a, it's a really cool story you guys have about how the company has come together, how the employees have contributed and, um, you know, uh, how, how you've made it through hopefully the, the hardest part of the sprint. And now you can <sighs> breathe a little bit at least. Um, so just one last question in terms of like, you know, what are your, your, um, final thoughts in terms of, you know, the biggest lesson you've learned, um, you know, the, the biggest takeaway you have from this whole experience? Uh, the biggest takeaway that I have is that there's two things. One is that we're, we're strong and capable and we're able to do things. So, you know, I, I shared uh, with you once before in a conversation, you know, my son learned how to play piano virtually this entire year. I would have never thought that possible. Not mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot that we can do um, that we never thought that we would be able to do. Um, and we walked away with it and, you know, like don't self-limit, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other piece of that is that although the virtual is great and there's a lot to it, the other piece that I've learned is how much I enjoy just being around people and what mm -hmm. kind of energy that brings um, and can bring to an environment. So, you know, when there, when there is more um, people around and in the office and you're able to communicate with them face-to-face -face or you're able to have a meeting um, with somebody who's experiencing something and you want to have that meeting face-to-face, -face, there's nothing that really replaces that. 
and I don't um, really want to replace that. Mm -hmm. So although I'm able to do things in a lot of different ways, um, I, I want to always be able to carve out time uh, to do things face-to-face um, -face when, when we can. So yeah, that <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Jason, what about you? Um, kind of what I learned from this is if we have the right people in place across the organization, as Ali said, we, we can do it. Mm -hmm. um, when we had to ramp up, not only from a manufacturing and service and installation uh, aspect, it almost it almost sounded like it was impossible to get all the stuff done that we needed to get done. Mm -hmm. But then we really saw how good the people that we have within the organization and how committed and dedicated uh, they were to the group, uh, which makes me very proud to work with the team that I work with, as well as everybody else across our entire organization from that aspect. The other piece is kind of like Allie's is I really missed the face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm okay with the virtual, but it's just not the same. So yeah. I, I can't wait till we're back to a little bit of normalcy so I can get the field team together and we can have a regional meetings and have face-to-face -face discussions and continue to build our relationships from that perspective and mm -hmm. hopefully sit at the bar and have a beer or something like <laughs> that as well because uh, we can really do a lot to build relationships in a face-to-face -face setting that I truly miss. I miss going to our customer sites, mm -hmm. miss seeing all of our colleagues in the field as well as internationally. Um, so I hope everything continues to whatever the new norm is, uh, mm -hmm. the quicker we get there, the better. Yeah. I'm with you on the face-to-face. -face. I've been, um, I work from home as my norm. So pre-COVID, but I always traveled a lot. And so it, it's still been a big adjustment in terms of, you know, I really enjoy getting together with, you know, colleagues and people in the industry and going to events and, and all of that. Um, and I really miss it. So I'm with you guys on that. I think, um, you know, there's something to be said for a little bit more flexibility or, or hybrid situations and, and certain things that, you know, really don't need to always be done on a location or, or in an office, but there's just certain aspects of, you know, this, that, that really are better in person. So Hopefully, I'd say I'm counting down until the next time I, I have a beer at a cocktail hour at an industry event, but I don't know when that will be, so I can't be counting, but I'm um, very much looking forward to it. So, Absolutely. well, thank you both so much for being here and, and sharing your story. I think it's a very, very impressive um, feat that you guys have, have accomplished, and um, you know, it, it definitely sounds like there's been some really good lessons um, that have come out of it. And, um, you know, if we had to go through it, then, then that's all we can ask. So thanks for coming on and sharing them with us. Thanks for having us. It's been Thank a you. great conversation. All right, great. You can check out more by visiting us at futureoffieldservice.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, as well as Twitter at the future of FS. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more about IFS solutions by visiting ifs.com. As always, thank you for listening.